Welcome to Agent Investor, where you'll hear inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. Join your host, investor and broker Tom Caffarella, as he dives into how active agents are delivering a high level of service to clients while spotting opportunities, negotiating with homeowners, signing deals, and building additional streams of income. You'll come away from each episode with practical tips, tactics, and action steps while being inspired to open your eyes to the potential deals that are all around you. After all, you have the skills, you have the market knowledge, you have access to the information. Why not leverage all those assets to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? If you're an active agent interested in investing in real estate and building passive income, this is your podcast. And now let's jump into this episode of Agent Investor. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. I am super excited about my guest today, Sherard Meta. Sherard, what's going on today? Anything good? Uh, not much, man. I'm excited to be on the podcast and uh, talk to some of the new investors that you guys have. Hopefully, they can learn a couple of things. Absolutely. Definitely with your background. I mean, you've done what now? Over 200 deals in your real estate career? Uh, no, I would say at this point, it's close to 500 now. 500? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I saw you on that Bigger Pockets interview and it said 200. So, how long ago was that? That was about almost three years ago. Okay, cool. Yeah. So 500 deals, we've got some people on here, I'm sure, that have done somewhere in that vicinity, but most of us are probably in the beginning stages, either just getting started or trying to do 10 or 15 deals in a year. Can you okay. walk us kind of to the beginning of your real estate investing career? I know that you started seven years ago. Right. What did that actually look like? Uh, so I started out buying, uh, I used to live in Chicago. I live in Carlsbad, California now. Uh, I was working for an accounting firm. Ernst and Young, uh, you know, in 2000. Counting firm. Oh, man, that's not yeah. good. I, so I worked for Grant Thornton. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah for, for two years, I got my CPA um, licensing. I, I hated it. Did you like Ernst and Young? Did you like being in accounting? Uh, you know, I didn't really like being in accounting, per se, but I love the, you know, being around like uh, motivated, you know, uh, like-minded people. I think that was, that was good. And being in that setting, I didn't really care so much about the work, honestly, but it was good to be in that setting, you know, just get that, learn about the corporate, how the corporate world works. So, yeah. So did but, you, did you do your first deal while you were an accountant or you just started getting interested in investing back then? Uh, no, I did my first deal while I was working, actually a couple of deals while I was working full time. So I started, uh, you know, I've always been into personal finance. So I read all the books from Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman. So that's, that's been very, uh, you know, big influence on my life. So I was always uh, with a background of, hey, you know, my wife and I, we've always lived on lower of the two income, saved mm -hmm. the higher income, invested it uh, in other assets. So when when my wife and I, we both started working, she actually worked for Deloitte when I was working at Ernst Young. So uh, we come from a family of accountants. Competing <laughs> uh, against one another, huh? Oh, she's way better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Smart but, man to admit that. Yeah, I know. I'm just being honest. Yeah. But, uh, but when we, so we were looking to invest our assets in, you know, I mean, we're looking to invest our savings in different assets. Uh, I tried investing in stocks, bonds. I mean, I even signed up for some services, you know, that help you pick stocks. And I, I was probably the worst stock picker in the world. Uh, I should have just picked, you know, exactly opposite my gut instinct. So I started looking around 
other options. And then I came across a book called Flip. Uh, I think it's by Gary Keller. I can't even remember. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in the Amazon, it gave me um, uh, a suggestion for another book that um, from a similar author called Millionaire Real Estate Investor. So, you know, that got me excited. Um, so I ordered that book, read it, and it kind of just, you know, uh, made sense to me. And I, the more I thought about that book, the more I'm like, yeah, you know, this is what I want to do. You know, I, I want to be a passive investor. So I started investing into rental properties. That's how I got started. I bought the first property I bought was a two unit back in August of 2010. Mm -hmm. um, and then I bought uh, a three unit after that. And then, you know, I, I did the numbers. I'm like, oh, this makes sense. I mean, you know, just like at the price point I was paying back in 2010, it was just it was a no-brainer, honestly. Um, so I was investing in right outside of Chicago in Indiana market, Northwest mm -hmm. Indiana. That's where I still invest. Um, it's like half hour to 45 minutes outside of Chicago. So I started investing there. And then in March of 2011, I left my job to kind of do this full time. So one of the things that you mentioned, I think that's pretty interesting. I, I kind of started out exactly the same way where I was just reading kind of every book and, and I didn't really know myself either, whether real estate investing was, was the thing for me. Um, right. I went to a bunch of different types of conferences over the years, uh, stocks, um, trading for options, all that good stuff. Right. What kind of made you realize that it was real estate and not a bunch of other things that, that made sense for you specifically? Because I think when people are starting out, there's kind of all these little things that they're considering doing. Uh, I mean, I think the main thing was the the passive income. You know, you're making money even when you're not actually working. Uh, you know, you don't have to think about it. And what I like about real estate also is that you control the entire asset versus investing in stocks or bonds. You know, you control a very, very tiny percentage of the company. Uh, mm -hmm. But with with, the, uh, with real estate, you own the entire asset or you own like a large percentage of it where it's significant. And then you have some say in how you how the asset is being managed. Makes sense. So 2010, you bought your first property. property. It was a two unit. What do the numbers look like there? Uh, so it was on the market for 65,000. I offered 20,000 on it. Uh, we agreed on, I think, 22.5. I spent maybe about seven to ten thousand on that property, so I was all in for about thirty to no more than thirty-five thousand, and we rented both units for about uh, twelve hundred dollars a month, so six hundred each. So, what did you? What were you making there a month? A thousand dollars a month, somewhere around there for cash flow, eight hundred, nine hundred. Uh, yeah, it's about eight hundred. That's awesome. So that yeah. was your first deal. Now, were you managing that yourself, or did you have somebody else do that for you? I was managing it myself. And how did that go? And would you recommend it for, for newer investors? It's not that bad. Actually, I would recommend because, you know, if you're, if you're managing as your portfolio grows, you know, I have a property management company now that manages all the properties, but uh, it was good for me to start out managing my own property. So I know what to expect from a property manager. Uh, so I, I would say it was definitely a good experience talking to the uh, tenants who were calling, showing them the unit and seeing what sort of questions they have. So that helped me, you know, we literally, uh, like I wrote down a script of anytime anybody calls, you know, I wrote down a script, hey, this is exactly what I need to ask. Uh, so I, I wrote down like word for word what I'll ask them. And I had some notes on if they say this, this is what I have to ask them. If they say that, you know, I'm, I'm going to uh, 
uh, reject them as an applicant. So that was that was definitely a good experience. Now, did you do that on purpose? Did you know you were kind of systematizing your business right then and there, or was that just something you kind of did by accident almost? Uh, I think it maybe it came from working at Ernst & Young, you know, using a lot of Excel sheets and then just figuring out a way, hey, how can I make it more efficient so I don't have to do the same thing over and over again. I can just do it once and then it kind of have a system built in. And then around the same time, I came across a book called E-Myth. So that had huge, huge influence on my business. Yeah. So what, I, I'm, what I'm hearing, and it's something that I see with all successful people, is you're an avid learner. And, I, and I'm assuming that these aren't the only books you've ever read, right? You already kind of, in the beginning stage of your career, you know, rattled off five or six of some of the best books. I'm assuming yeah. you're continuing to learn forever, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't read as much about real estate, you know, because... Uh, I'm, I mean, every night before I go to bed, I read for 30 minutes. That's just, that's a ritual. Otherwise I, I have a very hard time falling to sleep. So every night, you know, I switch between a fiction and a nonfiction book, you know, I'm reading, um, like kill a mockingbird, uh, you know, um, so I'm reading that because, you know, I figured, okay, it's a nice, you know, fictional book. Uh, but yeah, every, every day I'm reading something, watching some motivational video to kind of just stay focused and always be learning awesome so you bought your first two unit you bought it at probably the absolute bottom of the market or very close to it got a great deal you renovated it you were cash flowing on it what was your next move from there i bought another property three weeks later three weeks later so you you didn't even so you didn't even have the first one rented out before you bought the second one right uh yeah i don't yeah i don't think the first one was rented out before I bought the second one. I mean, yeah, I had, I had an offer in on the second one even before the first one closed. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just, you know, I mean, the numbers made sense. I mean, if I'm going to go in on something, I'm going to go all in, like why do something half-heartedly. So when you say the numbers worked, what were you looking for back then? Was it a cash on cash return, a monthly cash flow? Like what made you determine that they were good deals? Um, I mean, I was looking for minimum 15% uh, uh, cash on cash. Back, back then yeah and so the numbers you got were probably better than 15 percent cash on cash right yeah so that was my lowest but some properties are getting 20 25 even 30 percent but 15 yeah. was my absolute bottom that i'm not going to take anything under 15 percent so you said that you lived in chicago right right downtown and you were buying in indiana what was Correct. the reasoning for that uh that would that came from the book millionaire real estate investor you know i talked about when you're looking to buy a property, literally where you live, just draw a radius of an hour uh, drive from where you live. So I drew that radius and Indiana fell in that one hour radius. And that, I mean, honestly, living in Chicago, I didn't even know Indiana was literally right next door. Um, you know, I mean, no offense he, against Indiana, but when you live in <laughs> Chicago, why would you care about Indiana? Yeah, you know? yeah. But, but now, I mean, I travel, I fly there every month. Next week, I'm going to be in Indiana. Uh, but yeah, that was my reason. It, you know, I, I drew a circle and one hour drive from where I lived in downtown Chicago and Indiana was part of it, Lake County. And then that just got me curious on, hey, you know, that's interesting. So I started reading more about it, learning more about it, comparing it to the Chicago market. And just it turned out Indiana was more landlord friendly, um, you know, higher rate of return, more, uh, you get more value for your money. So it just made sense. And I drove out there met a uh, couple of real estate agents, looked at properties, and then just went from there. 
So I think one of the things you mentioned that's huge is the landlord laws per state. Right. Um, I'm in Massachusetts where the laws heavily favor tenants, but I also border a state, New Hampshire, right. where the, the, the laws are more favored towards the landlord. So right. tell me a little bit about how that impacted your decision and what the differences were between the two states for you. Uh, I mean, Chicago, like property taxes were much higher and then it's not landlord friendly. So that was my, you know, based on all the research that I had done, you know, I wanted to uh, invest in a place that was landlord friendly. If I had to do an eviction, that it was going to, it was not going to take very long. Uh, so I looked into the eviction laws, you know, in Indiana, if he, in actually in the Lake County where I invest, if I need to do an eviction, it takes no more than a month. You know, I mean, in the winter months, you know, around the holidays, maybe six weeks, but that's just completely different from Chicago. I, I did a joint venture project with another investor who had bought, he lived in New York, he bought a property in Chicago that, you know, I wasn't involved in. After he bought the property, uh, he found out that there was somebody living in the house. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we had to go through, um, you know, the legal proceedings, a court to get the person out. And it, so he bought the property in May and we did not get the person out until May of next year. So it took 12 months and he actually wasn't even living there. There was no gas, no electric, no water, no utilities, but he just, he basically wanted to get some money out from the investor. So in the end, we settled for, I think about $5,000. We paid him 5,000 and he just moved out or he signed paper that he's not, he doesn't live there anymore. It's crazy that you have to potentially pay people to move, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's the sort of stuff that happens in Chicago. Yeah, same same exact thing in Boston. And it's interesting, again, you know, bordering states, how they can be so different. When you're talking about, you know, buying and holding, those laws are are a huge impact on whether or not you're going to end up cash flowing every month. Um, And I think the thing that I think is the biggest shame about it is for smaller investors. I mean, that can knock them out of the game, right? Yeah. If they buy a two family, they don't get paid by one or two of the tenants. They have to hold on to it for a year. We buy a lot of properties from, you know, landlords that own one right. or two properties, and then they just can't afford to hold them anymore. And they, they sell them to us at a discount because it's either selling to us or, you know, right. they lose them altogether. Yeah. No, I mean, that's tons and tons of people like that in Chicago or, you know, other markets like that, if you don't know the laws and in some cases, honestly, the tenants know the law better than landlords do, and they're going to take advantage of it. And there's, there's nothing that can be done. You know, you'll get super frustrated, but it's just something you have to deal with. And so how were you buying properties back then? Because the market was so much different in 2010 than it is now in 2018. Were you just buying properties on the MLS or online? MLS, yeah, 95% of what I bought was from MLS. I mean, it's, it's different now, maybe 2 or 3% of what I buy now is from MLS, but back yeah. then, like 95 to 98% of what we bought was from MLS. Yeah, so that's, you know, another interesting thing is that, I mean, that's going to change again, right? I mean, you know, the market's kind of getting overheated as we speak in 2018, and at some point, buying properties off-market isn't going to be as effective as it is, you know, today for investors can you even cash flow now in the markets that you're buying in if they're not off market? Uh, yeah, I mean, we can. It's the cash flow isn't as much as what it used to be, but there's still cash flow. You know, I mean, it, it all comes down to the, the value has gone up definitely since back in 2010. But people are looking to invest. You know, it's not that only real estate has gone up. Everything is at its peak or close to its peak. So you're always comparing with 
okay, you know, if I don't invest in real estate, what other options do I have? Mm-hmm. I think people are investing for cash flow, they're in better position or doing short-term flips. In my opinion, they're in better position versus people buying for uh, appreciation. Right. The appreciation is something, you know, you don't know if it if that's your only strategy, if that's your only objective is to get appreciation from a property. You don't know if it's going to go up or not. But if you're buying something, let's say you pay $100,000 for something and it cash flow today, you know, even if the market value drops to $50,000, you are still getting cash flow. You know, it sucks that you've lost $50,000 worth of equity. Yeah. I, at least that was, that was my investment, you know, mindset. Look, I'm going to buy something. I was buying everything with cash. I have, uh, you know, maybe 5% of my portfolio has mortgage on it. Everything is owned free and clear. So when I went in, my thought process was, okay, I'm going to buy these properties. I'm going to assume the second I close on it, they're worth absolutely zero. They don't have any market value. I'm not looking to sell them. I'm looking to grow my portfolio. As long as I'm cash flowing with my all-in cost when I close on them, that's that's all that mattered to me. Yes, it's going to suck that the value goes down if it goes down. But as long as my rent is not going down, I'm okay with that. So now, now you've bought 500 properties. Have you held on to all of them or do you no. sell some of them? How do you exactly do it? Uh, so now I'm doing a lot of uh, fix and flip. You know, we sell properties to other investors, uh, you know, uh, as a turnkey property. We do a lot of uh, fix and flip to homeowners. Uh, so that's that's what we do a lot of now. Okay. Talk a little bit about that because, uh, you know, people in my market are having a really tough time finding right. properties to cash flow. And I'm assuming, but I don't know this, that a lot of your customers are probably in areas where they're having a difficult time getting cash flow still, right? Yeah, we have... Uh, a lot of investors from California, a uh, couple of people from Chicago, some from New York. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all investors looking to invest from, you know, like market like Massachusetts, basically, you know, Boston market, you know, yeah. where prices are super high, but they still want to invest in cash flow. So that's, they're looking to invest in Midwest market or other lower price markets uh, where they can get some cash flow. So those are the investors we sell a lot of our properties to. So the typical turnkey process is somebody like you is going to buy, you know, go out, solicit to sellers in your market or the market that you're buying in, right. buy them under market, under market value. You're going to renovate them. You're going to get a tenant in there. And then you're going to sell that deal to an investor who wants cash flow and then manage it for them. Is that Correct. the process for you? Okay. So for somebody, and are you still doing all Indiana or are you in other markets as well? Uh, just Indiana. Okay. So what do the numbers look like today in 2018? Someone in Massachusetts or California or some super high priced area wants to get into a cash flow property. What does it look like for you? Uh, our typical property, we sell anywhere from 90 to maybe 110, 120,000. Yep. Uh, it rents anywhere from 11 to $1,400 a month. Okay. Yeah. 11 to 1400. All right. So there, the, the rule that we kind of use, and I don't know if your investors use it as well, but we usually like to buy properties all in for um, less than a hundred times what the monthly ranks are. And so that, okay. that number right there works with that hundred times right. rule. And then you're managing it for them as well. And, and basically they, do they have to ever come out there and look at them or how does that work? Uh, it's up to them. I, you know, a uh, majority of the people who bought properties from me, I've actually never met them. I've never even seen them. Uh, but, you know, the way we run our business is very transparent. You know, we tell them what we're doing is not rocket science. 
we're buying a distressed property, we're fixing them up, fixing them up. This is what we're doing. You know, we're updating mechanicals, cosmetic, uh, roof, you know, whatever needs to be done. We put a tenant in it and we sell it to you. Uh, I, I highly, highly recommend that an investor comes and visits the market. Uh, even if I'm not there, I don't have to be, you know, I don't need to sell them on what we're doing. We have a team of people that, uh, that work for us. So they will meet them. And then we tell them, look, this is the property. This is the lockbox court. If you want to go visit, you know, unannounced, you're more than welcome to, you can see everything we're doing. Uh, and then we sell them, send them pictures, videos of everything we're doing um, at their property. So, yeah, I mean, some people, I would say 50-50, maybe half of them actually come visit. And maybe I met about 30% of the people who have invested with us. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. So you mentioned that most of the properties that you buy right now are off market. How are you getting face to face with the sellers or getting in touch with the sellers before they go on the MLS or Zillow or any other public website? So we buy uh, a lot from foreclosure auction. Uh, we buy a lot from referrals. Yep. We buy from, uh, we started doing our direct mail campaign. So <laughs> we're buying from direct mail campaign. Uh, so I send the letter out, but I don't, meet the seller in person i have my project manager so she knows you know what we're looking to buy uh, we'll get a call we have a pack life service that answers all the calls and then you know the people we are interested in talking to will go talk to them i mean actually my project manager will go talk to them she'll call me on a video from the house we'll make an offer if it goes through you know we'll we'll buy it if not then we'll move on to the next one mm. and these are all single families uh, yeah, some, I mean, we just, we just got a property in the contract, uh, that, uh, last week, it's a two unit property. Um, it needs major lead abatement work done, but again, you know, we'll, we'll take on any kind of work, lead, asbestos, mold, foundation. So, you know, we're taking on a big lead abatement project, uh, but it's a two unit property that's going to rent for about 22 to $2,300, uh, for mm -hmm. both sides. And how many pro projects are you typically working on at any one given point in time? Uh, right now, we have about 18 to 20 going on. Yeah. 18 and to then, 20. And yeah. so how do, how do you manage those? Do you use general contractors? Do you have people on payroll? Do you, how do you kind of get those projects done typically? Uh, so the people that are working for us, I mean, we have enough projects for them that basically we keep them going from one project to another. We don't have them on our payroll, yep. uh, but we, we keep them busy enough that, just they go from one project to another for us. They don't have any days off in between. So we have projects lined up for them for the next couple of months. And then in the next two months, we'll buy more. So we'll just keep going on and on for them. So people always say to me, well, how do you find good good contractors? I've been burned by so many. I have a difficult time finding them. And then somebody like you seems like they've got good people working all the time, keeping them busy. What's the, what's the key? Where do you find good contractors? And, and how do you keep them honest with everything? Uh, I mean, to find good contractor, like, I think what I would recommend is you go to church or wherever you worship, pray to God every single day to send you a good contractor. I'm telling you, that's like the toughest part of the business. Uh, but the, the team of guys that I'm working with right now, uh, they've been working with me for the last three or four years. Uh, yep. it, it was 
you know, I found the guys that are the main contractor that I'm working with who does majority of the work um, through Craigslist. Yeah. Uh, you know, I started him off with a small job and then he was doing a good job. Then I gave him a bigger project. And so he is super honest, fantastic guy. This is somebody that I can trust. I can give him $50,000 in cash and say, hey, just hold on to it. I'll take it from you next week. And I can just trust him. He's not going to run away with it. I've had guys that, you know, when I was working in Ernst Young, one of the properties that I bought, um, I bought it in September. So we had a pretty cold, cold winter. So in December of January, uh, one of the, the pipes froze. And, uh, you know, I sent this guy over and he said, it's going to be $3,000, you know, and he was saying, oh yeah, this happened, that happened. I'm like, oh, whoa, that, that's 3,000 sounds like a fantastic deal. You know, I'm like, yeah, do it. Um, and now I would get the same thing done for maybe four or 500 bucks. So, uh, you know, obviously he didn't, you know, he knew that I didn't know much. So he took advantage of that, but the people that I'm working with, so, uh, you know, they won't do that because they know it's, you know, they've been working nonstop for us for three years. Um, uh, no days off in between, unless they want to take some time off. Uh, so we have a, a couple of crews of contractors, you know, like our carpenters, roofers, painters, uh, and then we have a plumber, electrician, HVAC, and then uh, a landscaping company. Uh, we use a different company for garage doors. So we have like eight to 10 different people that we work with, but our plumber, electrician, HVAC, and the, the carpenter crew are the ones that go in on every house. What's the typical renovation for you? Is it a, a two-month project, a three-month project, a year project, or is it all over the map? Um, I would say four to six weeks is our typical you know, project, uh, some four to six weeks on majority of our project, if you're doing a big flip project, maybe a couple of months, but yeah, it shouldn't, I mean, this, this is, if you don't run into any weather related issues, if you don't run into any permitting issues or any of that, but yeah, anywhere from four to six months for a typical project and then maybe up to two months. So we talked in the very beginning about you buying, you know, one property and then a few weeks later you had another one under contract and you just kind of, you know, jumped in with both feet. Now you've got 18 to 20 projects going at one given point in time. Can you kind of bridge the gap between what happened between the first two and the 18 to 20 at once over the course of the last seven years? Uh, so what I started doing was after the first, you know, 12 to 18 months when I was buying properties for myself, I actually got in touch with a company out of Australia that was looking to buy properties in uh, in US. So they had started out buying up properties in Phoenix. So they, you know, they had some questions about. So I flew out to Phoenix. You know, I helped them close on a, a sixty condos out of a 300, 300 condo complex. So they were buying sixty condos in that complex. So you know, I flew out to Phoenix. I helped them, and then we started talking, and they were looking to, you know. So they had a bunch of investors from Australia, individual investors who were looking to invest in U.S. real estate because the the exchange rate was very strong. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we started talking and they started to, uh, you know, they got interested about investing in Indiana. So it just kind of took off from there. We, you know, we helped them buy a bunch of properties. Um, I think they bought maybe like 250 properties uh, through me and, you know, period of three to four years so that kind of died down around 2014 or 15 because the u.s dollars started getting strong against the australian dollars so, so that business kind of slowed down and then i started focusing more on 
uh, a regular fix and flip that we were doing and then started selling to uh, U.S. investors. So how did you hook up with the Australian company? Uh, that was a referral through a friend. So the CFO of the company, um, of the Australian company, he was actually a cousin of my friend. So that's how we got connected. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, then we're, we're looking to, we're actually looking to reconnect and maybe start off. So he left the company looking to start off and maybe do something again. And then I'm actually flying out to Australia, maybe in November or December to um, just, you know, restart that business. Interesting. So yeah. what does your day-to-day kind of look like today? Uh, so today, I mean, Monday is a little bit more hectic because, you know, we're looking to get everybody started. Uh, but I mean, honestly, like, even though we have 18 to 20 projects, going on, I'm not very involved in them. Um, you know, we bought and sold properties without me actually ever stepping foot in any of the houses. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's how I like it. Um, you know, so I'm going to be in Indiana, for example, next week, I fly out. Tuesday, I fly to Chicago airport. So, um, so I fly out Tuesday, I'll be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And if we have a new property that we're looking to buy, I'll stop by that house. But if there's an existing project going on, unless I need to be there, you know, I probably won't even stop by because we use a lot of technology. We use WhatsApp. Uh, we have our own software actually that we're developing for project management. So we use that to keep on top of all the projects. So uh, on, on a typical week, if I'm spending more than maybe hour, hour and a half on all of those 18, 20 projects, something is going wrong if I have to spend more than hour, hour and a half on managing those projects. So what's the structure, though, for to get that done? Like, what are the systems that you have in place? Is it people? Is it tools? Like, how are, how are you able to get all that work done without you being heavily involved? Uh, I would say people is the number one like the, I mean, this won't be possible without the people. You know, I could have the best systems in the world, but if I don't have the right people, then nothing is going to get done. So having the right people, you know, majority of the flips that we do, we use the same material, especially on our turnkey properties, same po- same paint, same flooring, roofing, you know, same faucet fixtures. Like that's, that's a decision we don't even make. It's like we don't even get involved on hey you know what are you gonna do with like my plumber or anybody they don't call me and say hey what do you what do you want to do with the house it's no i mean we bought the house this is what they know what the end product needs to look like and then just whatever we need to do to get it to the finish line that's they know that's what needs to be done Mm. and then they'll go in uh they don't even send me the estimate so i have an office manager they'll send her the estimate she'll talk to them she'll get them to sign the agreement uh and then every friday she'll send me hey, this is who we need to pay for this week. I'll just pay that and that's pretty much it. And then they'll send us, so on our uh, our WhatsApp group that we use, we have a a group for each of the contractors that we work with. So we have a group for plumber, we have a group for electrician, HVAC. So anytime they go to a house, they take pictures or videos and just keep us updated on what's being done at that house. And that's how we stay updated. So we're 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 not checking on them every day. Uh, mm-hmm. basically they understand the more efficient they are, the more projects they can do. If they slow us down on something, uh, then that slows everybody down. We're not able to buy less houses. And that, I mean, that money is coming out of their pocket at the end of the day. So are you selling any of your fix and flips to retail buyers or is it all going to investors? 
No, we're selling uh, to retail buyers. Yeah, we just got, uh, like my agent called me. So we put a house on the market on Thursday for 145. We had an offer the same day, full asking, but then we got another offer a couple of hours later. So I just told my agent, uh, she's also my project manager. I said, look, you know, just um, let's give it, give them until Monday for highest and best. So we got an offer and then I said uh, for 152000 and then she went ahead and signed the offer for us. So what percentage are being sold to retail buyers versus investors? Roughly? Uh, 80, 20, 80 to investors, 20 to retail. And, and that's, so if you had listed those retail, would you get less or more money or about the same? For turnkey? Yeah. Uh, we'll get a little bit more money. Selling retail? Correct. But again, our cost will go up. Why would the cost go up? Because of um, the traditional listing process? Correct. So okay. right now we don't, we don't list anything, uh, any of our turnkey properties. So what's your biggest challenge today? Is it getting good deals? Is it keeping up with the projects? Is it cash? Like what, what are you focused on the next, you know, three months to a year? What's your number one? Uh, getting more projects. Yep. And, yeah. and that's just due to the fact that you're having a tough time getting really good deals? Right. Yeah. I mean... We should be we should be doing a lot more. I mean, you know, we have capacity to do have thirty projects going on at the same time, but you know, uh, we're looking to buy more. That's our number one priority. So we just hired another person. So we're going to move our project manager in the role of acquisition. So she's going to be focused just solely on acquisition and just managing some retail projects, not the turnkey projects. So turnkey projects we can do. My office manager is actually she also lives in California. She's been to Indiana couple of times so i take her i fly her out uh, once a year during the holiday time so she can meet everybody but she manages the entire turnkey project from california like the entire rehab project uh so yeah the number one priority is acquisition i think that's true kind of across the board right because it's yeah. such a tough market to get good deals in um retail is just selling for so high where do you see the market going over the next few years uh, I, I don't see it dropping. I think it's going to continue to go up at least for another two to three years. Uh, you know, unless, I mean, unless something happens outside of real estate market, you know, um, like if the stock market crashes or I don't know, I mean, just hypothetically, like if you go into war or something, you know, something extreme happens, I don't think real estate on its own, is going to collapse. Like it happened back in, you know, 2008 or nine, mm -hmm. um, then again, you know, we have the next election year is 2020. So something could happen in that year. But at least until then, for next couple of years, you know, I see it uh, continue to go up. Okay. There's, there's very, very strong demand from homeowners. There's demand from investors. So I don't, I don't see it slowing down, at least at this point. Now, I don't know your market, you know, as well as I know mine, of course. Does your market, I, I feel like some of those Midwestern states, they don't have the peaks and troughs like we have. Like, how has the, the Indiana market impacted, you know, the last crash? Uh, it didn't go down a lot. I mean, like I just, you know, I started investing after uh, the market crashed, you yep. know, when there was nobody else buying. So I don't have, I don't have the perspective of saying, oh yeah, you know, in 2005, this is what was happening, but this is what started happening in 2010. I I started investing at the end of 2010. So yeah. my my experience, my you know, viewpoint is based on what I saw from 2010. It's been it's been going up steadily since 2010. 
especially in the last couple of years, the market has been super strong. You see a lot of investors in the market. You see a lot of homeowners like the house we put on the market on Thursday evening. You know, we had offers Friday morning and we got mm. a bunch of offers over the weekend. So those were all from homeowners. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely demand from homeowners. There's demand from investors, very high demand from tenants to rent property. Um, you know, when you start looking at the the difference between what a homeowner would pay in mortgage versus what a tenant pays in rent, there's a pretty big difference, you know, like at least on a, if a tenant is paying 1000 to $1,200 in rent, the mortgage for the same house would be about $600. So mm-hmm. you still have that gap. So I think that's going to continue to push up the prices a little bit, you know, to the point where it gets more in equilibrium. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I see that happening in the next couple of years. So, Right now, 2018, what's the biggest opportunity that you see in the real estate market? Uh, the biggest opportunity is, um, you know, learning more about the market because they, there will be a dip in the market in the next, you know, three to five years, mm-hmm. uh, I think. Um, so learning about the market, putting your systems in place, you know, having the right team, just being ready for that opportunity, even if you're not doing you know, tens of deals a year, even if you're doing one deal or two deal, a two deal a year, it's still, you know, if I were starting out and I bought a house, I would wait. If I have to just wait on a project to work with the guy that I feel comfortable with, if I have to just sit on that project for a month, it's yeah. okay. I'll sit on it for a month to work with the guys that I want to work with. Like we have 18 projects going on. Not every single project is being rehabbed. Yep. You know, we have projects that, uh, we're going to start rehab in a month. We could we could hire somebody else and start the project, but we don't want to do that. You know, we trust the people that we're working with and we'll wait for them to be ready for that project. So mm-hmm. I would do that if I was starting out, just, you know, have the right systems, have the right people. So as you scale, you know, you're ready for that opportunity. You know, you're not, you're not being slowed down because you're not ready uh, with the system to scale up. I've got one final question for you. So we we both came from an accounting background. What was your Unfortunately. <laughs> hey, I got fired from my job because I, I would come into work. You're I lucky, tried, I tried to do it. I, I couldn't do it. I, you know, I was reading literally about real estate all day long to the point where they actually asked me, you know, are are you in real estate? And at the time I wasn't. I wasn't like you and I actually started doing my first deals while I was you know, full time, I was just reading about it. Right. So what would you say to somebody who's in a job that they hate that wants to get into real estate? Was it was it worth it? And what advice would you give to them? I mean, job was, of course, worth it because, you know, that's the money I used to start investing. You know, uh, I didn't I didn't love what I was doing. I was doing, you know, you're an accountant, you know, I was doing like international tax, you know, I think form 5471 or, you know, for international corporation. I, I hated it. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Uh, but, you know, you have to, you have to take advantage of whatever opportunity you have, you know, you learn from, so these are, if you're working for a large company, you see something is being done, right? Learn from that opportunity. You know, what is, the owner of the company or what is your manager or whoever you're working, what is it that they're doing right? You know, so you, when you eventually you leave your job, you go out on your own, you know, you have that thought process, you know, Hey, you know, that person that I was working with, you know, Joe, he was doing this fantastic. You know, I wonder if I can apply that in my real estate business. Uh, You know, you learn, um, 
you know, for example, I mean, you know, working for an accounting firm, you know, you're going out, you're presenting your projects to these big corporations. So learn, you know, how to present, you know, if you're in front of a private money lender, you know, you, you want to come across as very professional, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, the same way as, you know, somebody from Anson Young or Grant Thornton, they're not going to go in and just try to wing it, you know, they're going to go in with all their information uh, ready, you know, they know their facts. So you want to come across the same way. Uh, when you're going and meeting a hard money lender or a private money lender. So, I mean, yeah, you might not actually like the actual work you're doing, but, you know, focus more on the things that are good about the job. You know, uh, you, you learn the discipline, you know, getting up every day at 7, 7.30, you know, working till 5.30, 6 or whatever your hours are, you know, you get up, you learn that discipline. Okay, look, I have to be here. Uh, I have to do this every day. I mean, that's that's something that I struggle with. You know, I work from home. So I love it. I mean, every day I take my son, I have a 16 month old, every day I take him to park. That's, that's one of the things like 5.30 to 7, I'm with him. My phone is switched off. Uh, everybody in my team knows I can't be reached. So, you know, but, but I'm learning the discipline of, okay, you know, if I'm working from 8 to 5, 5.30, I, I have to be working. I can't be wasting my time on something else because then, when I'm spending time with my son, then I'm thinking about, oh, shoot, you know, I had a bad day today, you know, I felt distracted or whatnot. So you, you learn those positive things from a bad job. You know, don't focus on the bad, just focus on the positive, you know, the things that you can learn and apply to your business down the road. I love it. So how can our listeners reach out to you if they want to invest in Indiana real estate or just want to reach out to you to talk? Uh, yeah, I mean, they can reach out to me by uh, through my website maxpropertiesllc.com, M-A-X-P-R-O-P-E-R-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com. Or they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Sharad Mehta, and they can reach out to me. If they have any questions, anything that I can help with, I'll be more than happy to. Cool. Yeah, and and on maxpropertiesllc.com, he's got a contact us form and a bunch of information. You've got all, oh, actually, you've got even some upcoming turnkey properties that you're selling, Right. right? All right, this is perfect. Well, a lot of information you shared. I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to come on the podcast. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.